This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. My name is Miriam Marston, and it's great to be with you each week as we take a closer look at how God is moving in our world today. And at the time that I'm working on this episode, the church is preparing to celebrate the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord, which is celebrated on February 2nd. So what do we celebrate on this feast, and how does it connect with evangelization? Well, that's what I want to explore with you during our time together, and we'll look at scripture, of course, as well as some papal reflections, and I'll include a song I composed a while back called Simeon. So in accordance with Jewish law, as laid out in Leviticus, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus, who would have been 40 days old at the time, since a woman needed to wait 40 days for the time of purification, Um, but he was brought to the temple to be officially presented. And it's there in the temple that the Holy Family encounters two elderly individuals, Simeon and Anna. They had been waiting so long to see the promised Messiah, and we'll look more closely at that part of the story shortly. But this is also called Candlemas Day, connecting to that imagery of Jesus as the light of the world. It's right there in the name, Candlemas, Candlemas. So on this day, it's a tradition to bless candles in the church. I know in my own family, we have a tradition of actually making the candles and then having them blessed by a priest. And growing up, I remember that we always used to have a special meal of cup, which are a type of delicious, very flat and thin pancake that's very popular in France. So that's a common food for February 2nd, as we're lighting candles around the home and celebrating Jesus, who is revealed as the light of the world. Now let's return to the story of Simeon. He's the one who meets the baby Jesus as he's brought into the temple for the very first time. And it's for this reason that Pope Benedict XVI describes this as the meeting point of the two testaments, old and new. Jesus enters the ancient temple, he who is the new temple of God. He comes to visit his people, thus bringing to fulfillment obedience to the law and ushering in the last times of salvation. So what we're witnessing here is a pivotal moment in salvation history, again, Old Testament meeting the New Testament. And Simeon isn't just there as a greeter in the temple. He shares a powerful and prophetic word, which points ahead to how Jesus's mission will unfold later on in his life. Pope St. John Paul II writes that, While we are still at the dawn of Jesus's life, we are already oriented to Calvary. It is on the cross that Jesus will be definitively confirmed as a sign of contradiction, and it is there that his mother's heart will be pierced by the sword of sorrow, 
We are told it all from the beginning, on the fortieth day after Jesus' birth, on the feast of the presentation of Jesus in the temple, so important in the church's liturgy. Elsewhere, the late Pope explains, Simeon's words seem like a second annunciation to Mary, for they tell her of the actual historical situation in which the Son is to accomplish his mission, namely in misunderstanding and sorrow. While this announcement on the one hand confirms her faith in the accomplishment of the divine promises of salvation— On the other hand, it also reveals to her that she will have to live her obedience of faith in suffering, at the side of the suffering Savior, and that her motherhood will be mysterious and sorrowful. So already we see that while candles and pancakes are wonderful traditions, there is far more going on with this feast day, and it's worth taking the time to dive more deeply into it. So I'll read this account from the Gospel of Luke, and then I'll share the song with you, and then I'll be back for further reflection on what we can draw from this extraordinary moment in salvation history. From the second chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke. When the days were completed for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted, and you yourself a sword will pierce so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was a man in the city And everyone thought him just a little lad They passed him on his knees, his arms Outstretched as if waiting for a consolation But on the edge of something new we sensed that So lived a life of anticipation 
In the church, we have this beautiful tradition of the Liturgy of the Hours, and that includes morning and night prayer. So each day is bookended by two canticles, or songs, the Canticle of Zechariah in the morning and the Canticle of Simeon at night. They both speak of promises made and fulfilled by God. They both have references to light, 
Zechariah speaks of Christ as the dawn from on high that shall break upon us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. In night prayer, we join with Simeon who sings of Jesus as the light of salvation, which is revealed to both the Jewish people and the Gentiles, which makes it so clear that His coming into the world is for everyone, in all places, at all times. So let's take a closer look at the figure of Simeon. Three times in three verses, we are told of his closeness to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He came in the Spirit into the temple. This intimacy with the Holy Spirit is not just a minor point in the story. It really is this central relationship with God that governs Simeon's whole life. He's able to discern the precise moment to enter into the temple. Really, the Holy Spirit arranged Simeon's encounter with the Lord perfectly to the last detail. I've wondered in my meditations on this passage, are we so receptive and responsive to the movements of the Holy Spirit in our own lives? Simeon is a remarkable example of a faithful person who is drawn into the right place at the right time. And through our baptism and confirmation, for example, we're given the means to respond radically, if need be, to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We've been equipped, so to speak, with a kind of spiritual navigation system. This is one lesson to take from Simeon, that in our Christian and sacramental life, we avail ourselves to the fruitful instruction of the Holy Spirit, so that we can be guided, maybe not into a temple at a certain time, but perhaps towards a certain person, or towards prayers that need saying at a certain time, even if the reasons don't seem particularly clear to us in the moment. I imagine that when Simeon took the child Jesus into his arms and blessed God, he was probably looking up, his face turned towards the heavens, in gratitude and in wonder. Given that he moved in the Spirit, Simeon would have had his sight fixed on the things of above. I imagine that he always had one eye on the door of the temple and maybe one ear to the surrounding conversation, waiting to see and hear hints of the promised Messiah. So I sense here another interesting challenge for us today. After all, this posture of outward attention, looking up, looking around, it's quite the contrast to our present age, an age of the selfie and the status update. And that's not to say that good things can't come of pictures and social media or looking down at our phone for a, for a message or to listen to a song. But I'm not sure about you, but I know that I kind of miss the days when we would just look up and around and possibly start a random conversation with a person at a bus stop instead of instinctively reaching for our phones to fill in the gaps of time throughout our day. I'm part of the generation that went through college without easy access to cell phones and there was no social media, but that all changed really right after I graduated and we started looking down a lot more. So in this sense, Simeon teaches us a key principle of the mission of evangelization. We must look up and around. How else will we see what wounds might need healing, what conversations might need to happen, or what hunger, either physical or spiritual, needs to be satisfied? If we are to carry the proclamation of the gospel into the world, we have to see where we are going. 
which means we must seek what is above and persevere in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, praying that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak of the mystery of Christ, to paraphrase from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Simeon's interior disposition prepared him to enter the temple at the appointed hour, but it might also have earned him a bit of an eccentric reputation in the eyes of others. He was the one who lived each day on the edge of something new, walking among the crowds with an anticipation that they would scarcely understand. You have probably seen some religious uh, eccentric types in your own life, though I guess that Simeon would have looked a little different from that quirky messenger of doom pacing around Main Street with a megaphone. But again, we have a lesson here that living and moving in the Holy Spirit and serving as a herald of the good news might make us stand out. So let's return to the scene played out in Luke's narrative. Mary, Jesus, and Joseph have come into the temple, and Simeon moves towards them swiftly, as though carried by the force of a driving wind, perceptible only to him. With scarcely a hello, he scoops the child Jesus up into his arms, oh, to be so close to the long-awaited Savior. I think there are few people in all of history who have experienced gratitude as Simeon did. Imagine that your entire life is built upon a promise, and you spend your days inching closer with the anticipation growing with every step. You've spent so many nights gazing up at the stars, in wonder at their Maker, and you can only smile at the prospect of that day when you will come face to face with the Word that spoke those stars into reality. Everything about your existence leans ardently towards this pivotal moment, except that it's not just a turning point in your own life, but in all of history. And now imagine that the turning point draws near and suddenly you're pulled into it. You're ready, and yet how could you ever be fully ready for such an event? And what else was left for Simeon to say afterwards, apart from his graceful reply? Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word. His faith had transformed into vision, and his hopes were realized. He is free to go in peace and to enter into his last days, which would have certainly been a grace-filled interlude. You know, for good reason, this canticle is part of night prayer. You know, it's when the sun has gone down and we've done what we can do for our work and it's time to rest. And we're urged to let go and detach ourselves from the cares and concerns of the day and to rest in the peace of Christ. Each night is a preparation for that inescapable hour when the arms of love will reach across the borders of this earthly country to draw us to our eternal home. And for a brief time, those holy arms were nestled in the embrace of Simeon, who gratefully pressed love against his chest, where his aging heart beat with the rhythm of God's own heartbeat. But we shouldn't have too much spiritual envy, for we too are invited to serve as vessels that carry the Lord, who is love, into the trenches of the world. Let's consider this. When we shuffle up the line in order to receive communion— Are we breathless with anticipation, like Simeon? Do we long to be so close? This Eucharistic desire is expressed by St. Maximilian Kolbe, who wrote, If angels could be jealous of men, they would be so for one reason, holy communion. There, hidden in the bread and wine, is the same Lord that Simeon held in the temple in that long-awaited moment, 
That little child is the Lord who calls you by name today. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted, and you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon's song is a continuation of the joyful refrain of the angels and shepherds in Bethlehem. It's part of that extended epiphany or manifestation of Jesus. But he does add this sobering piece to his particular hymn of praise and adoration. The Holy Spirit has prepared him to step into this prophetic office. Simeon is aware that his own time may be running short, but he is not at all short-sighted. His words point ahead to the suffering and death of the Lord, and also gives us a hint of the countless numbers of men and women who through the centuries have run away from or run towards Jesus. Running away, running towards, rising, falling, sometimes the pattern is repeated multiple times throughout a single lifetime. So yes, his last words are rather startling, but ultimately Simeon is a man of hope whose story demonstrates how Christ draws so very near to us, and that we should trust how God's plan is unfolding according to His holy will, even if it looks as though very little may be happening, or it may even appear that God is losing. And if there's one thing we can be very sure about, it's that God is not losing. In fact, He's already won the victory. So in the mission of evangelization, it's good to remember that in sharing the gospel, we're not operating on our own timelines or according to our own agendas and schedules. We do what we're called to do, and we let God do the rest. Which brings us to yet another wonderful thing we can glean from Simeon's life, that is patience. Because even a disciple of Christ can grow impatient. Why isn't the world changing fast enough? Why am I not experiencing conversion quickly enough? And other questions along those lines. And here, I'll turn to Pope Francis, who spoke on this subject for the Feast of the Presentation back in 2021. He writes, By patiently persevering, Simeon did not grow weary with the passage of time. He was now an old man, yet the flame still burned brightly in his heart. In his long life, there had surely been times when he had been hurt, disappointed, yet he did not lose hope. He trusted in the promise and did not let himself be consumed by regret for times past or by the sense of despondency that can come as we approach the twilight of our lives. His hope and expectation found expression in the daily patience of a man who, despite everything, remained watchful until at last his eyes saw the salvation that had been promised. The Pope continues, I ask myself, where did Simeon learn such patience? It was born of prayer and the history of his people, which had always seen in the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and fidelity. He recognized the Father, who, even in the face of rejection and infidelity, never gives up, but remains patient for many years, constantly holding out the possibility of conversion. The patience of Simeon is thus a mirror of God's own patience. By that patience, St. Paul tells us he leads us to repentance. I like to think of Romano Gardini, who once observed that patience is God's way of responding to our weakness and giving us the time we need to change. This is the reason for our hope, that God never tires of waiting for us, 
When we turn away, He comes looking for us. When we fall, He lifts us to our feet. When we return to Him after losing our way, He waits for us with open arms. His love is not weighed in the balance of our human calculations, but unstintingly gives us the courage to start anew. This teaches us resilience, the courage always to start again each day, always to start over after our falls. God is patient. Pope Francis then continues with three settings in which patience can become concrete. The first is our personal life. There was a time when we responded to the Lord's call and with enthusiasm and generosity offered our lives to Him. Along the way, together with consolations, we have had our share of disappointments and frustrations. At times, our hard work fails to achieve the desired results. The seeds we sow seem to not bear sufficient fruit. The ardor of our prayer cools, and we are not always immune to spiritual aridity. We have to be patient with ourselves and await in hope God's own times and places. For He remains ever faithful to His promises. This is the foundation stone. He is true to His promises. Remembering this can help us retrace our steps and revive our dreams, rather than yielding to interior sadness and discouragement. A second setting in which patience can become concrete is community life. We all know that human relationships are not always serene, especially when they involve sharing a project of life or apostolic activity. There are times when conflicts arise and no immediate solution can be expected, nor should hasty judgments be made. Time is required to step back, to preserve peace, and to wait for a better time to resolve situations in charity and in truth. We will never be able to discern well, to see the truth if our hearts are agitated and impatient. Let us keep in mind that the Lord does not call us to be soloists. We know that there are many in the church. No, we are not called to be soloists, but to be part of a choir that can sometimes miss a note or two, but must always try to sing in unison. Finally, a third setting is our relationship with the world. Simeon and Anna cherished the hope proclaimed by the prophets, even though it is slow to be fulfilled and grows silently amid the infidelities and ruins of our world. They did not complain about how wrong things are, but patiently looked for the light shining in the darkness of history. We too need that kind of patience so as not to fall into the trap of complaining. Some people are masters of complaining, doctors of complaining. It can happen that even as God patiently tills the soil of history and our own hearts, we show ourselves impatient and want to judge everything immediately, now or never. In this way, we lose that small but most beautiful of virtues, hope. Let us contemplate God's patience and implore the trusting patience of Simeon and of Anna. In this way, may our eyes too see the light of salvation and bring that light to the whole world, just as these two elderly individuals did in their words of praise. Again, that is from a homily by Pope Francis in 2021 on the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord, and I hope that we can find opportunities in the coming days to follow Simeon's example of patience and trust wherever life may lead us whether that's a storm or a sanctuary, a rocky time or a peaceful one. In the end, we cannot go anywhere where our Lord is not. As we hear in Psalm 139, If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. 
If I lie down in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of dawn and dwell beyond the sea, even there your hand guides me. Your right hand holds me fast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to explore the many ways we are called to share the good news of what God has done and is doing. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through MaterDayRadio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.